This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Here he is in all of his radiant glory, just got done feeding the reindeer, and he's in the studio, my friend, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you? I'm good. A little cold out there, a little snow on the ground, but hey, it's winter, it's December. I am a little concerned, though, uh, you didn't shop for my Christmas present yet? Oh, it's coming. It's coming. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Okay. It'll be, you'll get yours right after I get mine. Okay. Well, (laughs) believe me, you are going to get something. I guarantee you that. What are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about a uh, ranching um, situation that's a little bit different than some of the other ranching situations we've talked about. Ken, hold it a minute. Do you see what we got here in the studio? Yeah, we got one fly in Cajun County, and it's here. It's here. It's visiting. Okay, go ahead. Now, I'm going to talk about a guy by the name of Granville Stewart, and I like this story because this comes from his journal, his writings. So it's, to me, these are the kind of stories that are really accurate as far as what really happened. And I just want to say something, folks. If you have not started or kept a journal it's a good idea yeah because uh someday your kids your grandkids are going to want to know about you and so i always put it this way uh who do you want to tell your story you or somebody else so i'd encourage you folks just to even if you only write in it once or twice or three times a year so anyway so this granville stewart he was uh, among the men who fought the odds to uh, establish themselves in northern ranching and he actually came from iowa in his teens to hunt for gold and he didn't have much luck there so he turned to what they call road ranching in order to survive now let me explain road ranching Hmm. well actually i think that'll come along as we go here road ranching is a little different technique okay now uh he enjoyed the friendship of of the men he earned their respect he was an excellent shot with a rifle and he was pretty good at poker but the one thing he never joined in their favorite pastime drinking he never Never imbibed in alcohol. Really? He was a self-taught scholar who loved books more than anything in life and had such a love for learning that he eventually actually helped found a school, a collected, and he collected a personal library of over 3,000 books. Uh, and uh, it may seem ironic, but he married an Indian woman who, you know, uh, wasn't uh, probably lettered or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, educated. Uh, educated, but that's what a lot of those guys did back I've then. I've heard that name. Yeah before yeah well as we go along you might recognize more because he has a brother we're going to talk about too oh, okay. but he was a peaceful man uh, he had morals he had a respect for the law but when wrestlers threatened the survival of his ranch he led a group of pretty merciless vigilantes to help to hunt the outlaws down and string them up and we'll talk a little more about that mm. so granville stewart started his career in montana as a road rancher and went on to tackle a bunch of different things uh on the western frontier uh 
uh, prospector, horse trader, blacksmith, boomtown merchant, cattleman, civic leader, legislator, and uh, through all this he made no fortune uh, from ranching or any of his other things. He did a lot of stuff, but... Uh, he Never made any money. He didn't, uh, and he died... Uh, so what else at, is new? <laughs> yeah. So he died at the age of 84 and was known as Mr. Montana. So... Let's go back to the beginning, okay? 1852, at the age of 17, Granville Stewart and his brother James, who was 20, they left the farmlands of Iowa for the gold fields of California. After five years of prospecting that brought them really nothing, they decided to go home for a visit. Well, so now it's the summer of 1857. They started east with nine other men for companionship as well as for protection. But it's while they were camped uh, at the head of a place called Malad Creek, which is about 50 miles north of the Great Salt Lake, and that's where Granville's destiny was sealed. He was stricken with a near-fatal fever, and for seven weeks, he couldn't move. He was down. Really? But slowly, on a diet of sage tea and rabbit broth... Granville was nursed back to health by his brother. No, rabbit so broth? Rabbit broth. But, you know, think about it. You know, chicken broth, rabbit broth, something, you know, it makes sense to okay. me. But, so he was. He finally got well enough he could get on a horse. Well, they ran into a guy by the name of Jake Meeks, and he was an experienced mountain man who was camped nearby. Now, he suggested the Stewart brothers ride north with him some 200 miles to a sheltered valley in the Rockies where they could winter uh, over the winter. And so late in October, the small party arrived in Beaverhead Valley, east of the Bitterroot Mountains. Been there. Okay, so winter that year was mild, Mm -hmm. and the men were snug in their elk skin tents, and there were a lot of deer and elk around, so they had plenty of of food. But the Stewarts soon fell in with other mountain men who were wintering uh, in the valley. But the Stewarts soon learned learned the ropes of trading with the Indians, and over the course of the winter, they kept up a brisk business with friendly bands of the Nez Perce. What what year was that? That was 1857. Oh, okay. All right. So uh, they were dealing with... Uh, uh, with the Nez Perce, and of course we know they had great breeding program with the, yeah. the horses right. and skillful. Right. But and here's and this is a quote from him: the price of a common horse was quote was two blankets, one shirt, one pair of cloth leggings, one small mirror, one knife. That was what you would trade to really? an Indian for a horse. And again, these are nice horses. If you know, back they then. could get more, they would. Sure. sure. Yeah. But by the spring of 1858, the brothers had acquired 20 horses in trade, and they hoped to sell them uh, to the army at Fort Bridger. Well, the Stewarts headed south by way of Deer Lodge Valley, which Deer Lodge, Montana, yeah. uh, where they'd heard uh, a man uh, had found some gold a few years earlier. Uh, and, you know, the lure of gold. I mean, you know, you start. There you of, go. Yeah, here we go. So anyway, so they traveled to the mouth uh, of this creek and they worked their way five miles up stream and downstream they dug a hole where the water would run into it and they would wash the sand and gravel they actually used a, a tin bread pan for a, a panning pan but and their the work paid off at 10 cents in fine gold to the pan which is not a huge amount 
But anyway, they uh, they uh, they must they figured be a bonanza somewhere close by, and unfortunately they did not have the equipment or the provisions to, to stay and try to find it. So the Stewarts set themselves as road ranchers uh, at one of the crossings of the Green River and were soon acquiring livestock that had become a burden to the wagon trains. Now this is where the term uh, road ranchers comes in, Zeb. Uh, the, the people are coming through with their wagon trains, okay? And a lot of times their cattle or horses are spent. You know, they're they're bad. Oh. So these road ranchers would sell them, a, a, say, a couple of good oxen so or So basically horses. fresh animals. Right. And then they would take, say... The four, old... and But take four horses for their two good ones. I so see. So that's where the term road ranching uh, uh, comes oh. into play. Okay. But the Stewarts Road ranched, uh, and they drove their small but increasing herd of horses and cattle back into the mountain valleys for winter grazing. So in the fall of 1860, still attempting to supplement their meager income with gold, they drove their stock 60 head by now up to Deer Lodge again. And there they built a cabin. They cut poles for a corral, and nearby was this stream that they had panned a couple of years earlier. Well, their plan was to spend the winter there hunting and caring for their stock but and try some prospecting. But again, no quick fortune and in fact uh, the diary that Stewart kept he said quote tolerably good prospects only by following he said quote washed seven pans of dirt and got six cents oh my <laughs> so <laughs> they're not doing a lot of not a lot yeah so you know their only optimistic inventory came from their corral of 19 young calves four yearlings 33 cows 15 oxen two young steers and three bulls and a partridge in and a, a partridge you, you've read this <laughs> <laughs> you've read this okay but you know uh, Back then, you know, female companionship was kind of important, and so... Uh, I'm waiting to hear how you're going to handle this. Uh, very carefully. I see. Granville and James, the brothers, they followed the custom of the frontier, and they took common law Indian wives. Uh-huh. And that was, that, again, a common thing. John, your own. So, we're moving ahead. <laughs> So life for the Stewart brothers became a little more comfortable at the same time, a little more business-like, for with the families on the way, they had to have a steady income. So in 1862, they opened up a butcher shop and a saloon grocery store. And this for, is where? Up, at, up in uh, Montana, Montana, by Deer Lodge area. I see. Yeah. Uh, and they opened up these businesses, but they still wanted to strike it rich with gold, uh, if only they knew where to find it, which is typical. But yeah. anyway, as it turned out, there was considerable gold in Montana, and by 1863, major strikes were being made in the general area of Deer Lodge, uh, though not by the Stewarts. They weren't having any luck. So Granville and James began to prosper a little bit in their road ranching, again, trading uh, poor animals for good. And then they started supplying miners with fresh meat. Uh, and that was a good business. They started a blacksmith shop, a dry goods store at Virginia City, and later another store at Deer Lodge. Now, unfortunately, they didn't have enough money to support their ventures. They didn't have enough cattle to supply, to, uh, supply the need for beef. Uh, the opportunity to make a killing for the miners rather than from the mines kind of slipped through their fingers. They just didn't have very good luck nice. all the way around. They worked hard. They did, you know, and the same opportunity was seized, however, by a new newcomer by the name of Conrad Coors, and this guy actually went on to be very successful. Well, isn't Conrad Coors, how's it spelled? It's uh, K-O-H-R-S. Yeah, I've heard of him. Okay, Conrad yeah. Coors. So uh, he thrived. He did very well, but the Stewart brothers were making a living, but not 
much more. So in 1871, Granville started to, he wrote to his brother James, he said, why can't we make enough money to support our kids and our family and for clothes? It was just really frustrating for him. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, anyway, uh, the elusiveness of financial success had not kept Granville from trying his hand at a number of intellectual pursuits. Intellectual. Intellectual. What does that mean? Instead of using your back, you're going to use your head, your brain. So he's going to give up on all the hard work. Yes, maybe. I see. (laughs) Well, between his chores as a butcher and a blacksmith, he worked on a manuscript that included a history of the region and its gold strikes. So, again, this is what I like this because he wrote this stuff down. I see. And a guide to local Indian languages and customs. And in 1865, this first book about the new territory was published in New York under the title Montana As It Is. So the same year, Granville helped found actually the Historical Society of Montana and served as his first uh, secretary. Really? So he had a, you know, a lot of things uh, that he did and did well, I think. But now the brother, he, he had a brother. Right. And okay. we're going to get the, that brother, okay. unfortunately. Okay. So Granville Stewart, you know, his literary skills were bringing him a little bit of fame. But in 1873, the bottom dropped out of his life because his brother James died at the age of 42. Oh, my. And these, you know, here they've been through all this together. Yeah. Granville and James. And, you know, that really, it really hit him hard. And neither one were married except for the common law right. Indian wives. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, like I say, then the bottom dropped out of the economy. He was not able to make any money. So Granville busied himself. Uh, by selling off some of the property that they'd uh, gotten over the years. But he still had to provide for a growing family. And that now, now he had four daughters and two sons uh, in the family. And reluctantly, he accepted a position as a bookkeeper in the First National Bank of Helena, courtesy of an old prospecting buddy of his brother's. Wow. So now he's in the banking business. Uh-huh. And probably the first smart move that he actually made. Yeah, there we go. So anyway, during the latter half of the 1870s, the recession gradually got better. The railroads resumed their march toward Montana. The cattle business picked up briskly. Montana cattlemen and Texans, too, were driving thousands of longhorns up into Montana. Yeah, and it got so big, weren't they taking a lot of those same cattle and trailing them across to Belfouche to sell them? You know, I'm not sure, but they marketed them wherever, you know, either by train or whatever. To get on the rail. Right. 
But Granville Stewart, oddly enough, proved himself to be an excellent manager of other people's money, mostly <laughs> cattlemen's money. Not so good with his, but with others. Well, he began thinking seriously about getting into ranching. So Stewart formed a ranching partnership with a guy by the name of Andrew Davis. And this guy was a wealthy miner and banker from Butte, Montana. I see. And because of his ranching experience, uh, Stewart was appointed superintendent and general manager of this new ranching operations. So here we are spring of 1880. Okay, Stewart had contracted to buy a starter herd of cattle in Montana and Oregon and had begun to search for a land for, for a ranch in Montana. He, and he spent three so months... So he bought the cattle first? Well, his partner, him oh. and his partner, yeah. They had the cattle, but now they needed to find a ranch. I would say. So he spent about three months traveling all through Montana, and he finally found a place in central Montana called the Judith Basin. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that, yep, Zeb? Yep, yep. Okay. Beautiful area. So, and he says, quote, all of this country for 100 miles in every direction is well grassed, well watered, and good shelter. Yep. There was an abundance of yellow pine for fencing and buildings. Mm-hmm. So the big ranch house uh, itself was built uh, by 1880. Stewart had a main building completed, 5,000 head of cattle, 60 horses, and Stewart at last was a rancher. And, you know, this is what he really wanted to do. But when he wasn't buying or selling cattle or doing the paperwork demanded of every ranch manager, he actually went out and rode with the guys, yeah. with the cowboys. And he says here, quote, It was no simple matter to keep animals and Indians separate. Bands of Crees from a large reservation north of the Missouri River helped themselves to some of Stewart's beef. On one occasion, some 1,200 Blackfeet had camped just above the ranch and were attempting to run off some of the stock. So Stewart took a bunch of men and simply told the Indians, quote, You pack up your teepees and rattle hawks out of here mm-hmm. and stay across the Missouri River after this or I will wipe you out. Now, I don't know what that term, rattle hawks, means. means to hurry up and get at a gallop, buddy. Get the heck out. Yeah. Don't let the door hit you. Yeah. Anyway, so Stewart's men admired him because he, uh, he was an honest guy, and he treated his work, uh, his uh, hired men, very well. And there was a few Indian raids, but anyway, uh, Stewart was finally making good under his management. The herd grew to 12,000. Now, here's a little difference, uh, Zeb. Instead of the stringy Texas Longhorns, they had the fat shorthorn stock from Idaho and Oregon. And these these were better beef, mm-hmm. better eating. Yeah. So I've never eaten the Longhorn, but I have. have you? Yeah. Many <laughs> not times. not too bad. Many times. So anyway, so he had these thoroughbred thoroughbred bulls, uh, and uh, anyway, and as was customary in that time, they'd had their roundup. Okay. So even for Stewart, you know, this was a sight to witness. I mean, a big spring roundup. Uh, they would have a dance the night before. There would be a lot of gathering of the ladies and the kids and the men. A big horse herd would be driven in. They'd pick out their horses. And each outfit would contribute men and horses. Uh, you'd have like 60 or 70 guys all gathering together to go out and gather up uh, from the different ranches. And actually, and I didn't know this, but the ladies would often ride out to the first corral to watch the branding and stay for lunch at the chuck wagon. Really? So it was really a social a event. A family deal. Yeah. 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 But on the range, Stuart wrote, he said the work was hard and fast. The cattle had to be branded. They'd be cut out. 
out. Uh, they'd, you know, be roped and wrestled to the ground, branded, dust, heat, smell of singed hair. I mean, you can just smell that, can't you? Just like lonesome dove. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it took them four to six weeks to complete the process of identifying the several herds, driving them to their home ranges. And as soon as this was done, of course, then there was other work. They had to put up hay for the winter, get the corrals in shape, get the horses gathered up. And in fall, in the fall, there was another round of calves, which usually required another three or four weeks. Right. Well, late in 1883, uh, uh, he, Stewart and his trail drivers drove a consignment of beef southwest 120 miles to the rail station. So Stewart recall, recalled this. He said, quote, and it required eternal vigilance to keep them from stampeding and running all the fat off. And, you know, when a cow runs, they're going to lose uh, some of the fat. Yep. And that was always a danger. So here's what he said. It happened on a dark, sleet-driven night. After the trail drivers had settled the herd as best they could, Stewart lay down. He bedded down. Then at about 11 o'clock, something spooked the herd. Uh-oh, look out. Instantly, every animal was on its feet, and also, in an instant, every man was in the saddle yeah. after them. Yeah. The night was pitch dark. There was nothing to guide us, he said. They must be stopped, and the only way to do it was to get ahead of them and turn the leaders so that the herd could move in a circle. Start them milling in a milling circle. Milling in a circle, right. yeah. Uh, you know, and I, you know, I've ridden horses a lot of times, Evan, but I've never done it on a dead run in pitch black. Not so, a occasion that you would no, welcome. No, but they succeeded, and anyway, the cattle crossed the Yellowstone River without further incident. They were loaded at the railhead and eventually arrived in Chicago. Really? So, but anyway, the prosperity of the stockmen brought another plague in the form of organized bands of horse and cattle rustlers. And they were convinced that the law was not going to be very effective, so Stewart called a secret meeting. And precisely who attended was never revealed. Okay, The unofficial war began, and after hanging two uh, thieves, uh, Stewart became known with his group as Stewart's Stranglers. Mm-hmm. And they were to be reckoned with. Anyway, so now we're in 1884. Stewart uh, was leading a party of nine vigilantes to a cabin that was being, uh, that there were some horse thieves and cattle thieves in this cabin. They surrounded the cabin. They started shooting. Uh, turned out to be there was 12 outlaws in this cabin. And when everything was said and done, Stewart said uh, uh, they kept up the fight until they were all killed. They started a fire, burnt the cabin. And so, like I say, they were a group to be uh, reckoned yeah. with. Yeah. So anyway, um, while these blood... <clears throat> Bloody events were occupying Montana's. The territory's cattle were growing fat, bringing excellent prices. Uh, then came that drought of 1886. No water. That was the year of the sub-zero temperatures. Oh, my. Yeah. That was when cattle, by the thousands and thousands, died. They couldn't, They, you know, they just died because so of the So you're going to say it wiped him out. It, it did. He was hurt so bad financially, and so he withdrew from the cattle business. And actually, when he died, he was in the midst of writing and rewriting his recollections of Montana. But as I said, he died at the age of 84. So he died at... Basically, a penniless man. He did. Uh, you know, I don't know whatever happened wow. with his family. Wow. But uh, anyway, that. Uh, you know, while you were going through the story about him, didn't you, when you read it for the first time, draw the correlation of how the movie and the story of the Virginian. 
and Lonesome Dove and Tom Horn all oh. played into some of the sequences you oh, were yeah. talking about? Yeah, and this was di- right during those time yeah. periods. Because like the Virginian, you know, they went out and they caught anybody that was a rustler and strung, strung. them up. Yeah. And the best friend of the Virginian in the novel, Trampus, was one of the guys they strung up. Oh. Yeah. And it brought to mind what's happening here. Yeah. You know, I look at this guy's life, and I think, you know, you did a lot of things, a lot of good things. And, yeah, you might have strung up a few guys, but maybe they needed it. But the fact that he kept a record of Of everything is, to me, is priceless. You know, and that's why I encourage people, you know, keep a journal, write things down. I wish I had more of my grandparents and great-grandparents stories oh i do too you know i really do hey you know i'm out of time i know you are i've got to run but that was good i am granville stewart yes okay i'll remember that thanks to state farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives like a good neighbor state farm is there talk to your local agent today